Hi, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks very much, Kate. <coughs> um, so I've been very well prepared by Cam, so I have my reading chosen. Um, and interestingly enough, I was reading this the other day, but I'm only going to read a short part of it, and it's from the big book. They're very well <clears throat> AA is not planned for recovery that can be finished and done with. It is a way of life. And the challenge contained in its principles is great enough to keep any human being striving for as long as he lives. We do not, cannot outgrow this plan. As arrested alcoholics, we must have a programme for living that allows for limitless expansion. Keeping one foot in front of the other is essential for maintaining our arrestment. Others may idle in a retrogressive groove without too much danger. But retrogression spells death for us. However, this is not as rough as it sounds, as we do become grateful for the necessity that makes us toe the line. And we find that we are compensated for the consistent effort by countless dividends we receive. So, on that basis, and all the post-it notes, authentically writing. I never bother preparing. I don't know why. I think it's because Cam's got me so prepared. I'm like ready for this meeting. Um, <clears throat> oh, that plus my timer. And uh, okay, so. Um, I always say a few things at the beginning of my AA chair, if I do an AA chair, because it helps settle my brain and it just brings me into my own space. Um, this year I celebrated 32 years clean from alcohol. Um, yeah, it's not such a big thing, really. I mean, it is a thing, but it's, <clears throat> you know, retrogression and all that. So I haven't had a drink for 32 years, but what I understand today about my dis-ease is that it's like a game of whack-a-mole. So I successfully bang one down and then another little one sneaks up. And my experience and my journey in recovery is that I'm Amanda, I'm an alcoholic and addict and I'm now uh, uh, an adult child. And <clears throat> so for, uh, for the first few years of recovery, I was a hi, I'm Amanda. Well, for the first few weeks of coming into recovery, I was hi, I'm Amanda, and I've got this feeling I might be drinking too much, but I'm only 28, and everybody else in the room is 128, and so I'm not quite sure if I'm in the right place. <clears throat> and there were no women in the room. There were very few women back then. I was in Dot Sober in London, in Southwest London, and everyone was Irish. And um, during my period of abstinence from alcohol and I, my understanding, my deepening understanding of my addict, the addict that lives in me, is that um, I watch her act out in other areas. I watch my addiction act out. And I've always described it as a her. So I've always talked about my addict. 
and and her acting out. So <clears throat> I am 32 years free of alcohol and the woman who brought me to my first AA meeting is in the room. So blessings to you, Annie. You know how much I love you. <clears throat> so, um, but I am rigorously honest when I share. So I don't share to impress anyone, to offend anyone, to shock anyone. But I share because of the way that my disease shows itself in my life when I'm not close to my higher power, when I'm not really in tune with uh, a conscious contact with a higher power of my understanding, when I'm not um, in the flow, when I'm out of sync and I'm not in the flow. And so um, my first concept of a higher power was when my son was born. So I was two years sober and I, I, I had this little boy who's now 30 years, and he looked after him for a while um, with her son, Ben. And um, I placed that boy on a pedestal. And I now understand for a long period of time, he became my higher power. And you know, that's a huge responsibility for a human being, and particularly a very small one at the time, you know? Um, my dis-ease, I shall come back to that relationship because it's it's very important to where I'm at in my recovery journey now. My dis-ease, <clears throat> free from alcohol, free from drugs. Um, I stayed in AA when I lived in London until I was about nine years sober and then my marriage broke up and um, I moved to Slough and I bought my own house and I became an independent woman. And my career, because um, I now know that if an alcoholic puts their mind to something, they're going to do it. And so my career really took off. So I'm this independent woman with this little boy who's on a pedestal. Um, I'm now in my late 30s and I am starting to have a board. Um, I go into my 40s and I start going to the gym. So that becomes my first, uh, not, I don't know it's an addiction at the time, but that becomes my first non-drinking, non-using addiction where I'm using something outside of myself to change the way I feel. And I was making, I was looking at my exterior, my exterior self, and I was trying to fix that desperately. I could see my body was changing. I was having trouble with that. And I was really going against that and fighting fighting for that not to happen. And so I started to fix the outside of myself. Um, and, and that became, that became, going to the gym became a real obsession. Uh, twice a day I was going, six days a week. Um, and I was getting up, I was the first one in the gym. I'd leave my son at home with a childminder and with, with the au pair. And um, as soon as my son was in bed and the au pair was home, I'd be back at the gym and I'd do another hour there. Um, you do that you know, very successfully, <clears throat> your body changes and you know, say, oh my God, I'm feeling amazing. I'm now looking great and I'm feeling amazing. But what's happening is my, my addict, she's alive now. 
want to go to AA anymore because I live in this new area. My career is taking off. I'm very busy at the gym and I'm concerned about all of this. And so she's starting to take off and her, my arrogance and my ego is really um, in full flight. And so very gradually over a period of about five years, I don't come to AA much. And uh, during that time, I... Um, I, have, I contract a sex addiction. And uh, that was excruciatingly painful. Um, and because now I've got this little boy that I'm leaving at home with the au pair and I am going out to sordid places. It's exactly the same as it says in the book. I'm, I'm not somebody who goes and drinks in the saloon bar. That's not where I drink. And so it's exactly the same with my other addictions. So, you know, I do things, uh, I go dark, I go underground, uh, I don't tell anybody. And uh, it's, it's always painful and grubby. Um, and so it's porn, it's swingers clubs, it's uh, multiple relationships, it's uh, and I'm not telling anyone. I'm not coming to recovery meetings because uh, I'm too busy <laughs> doing all of that. And I haven't really understood at the time that that was, um, I hadn't understood there was addiction. I hadn't understood because I was so far away from my higher power. My arrogance and my ego was so on fire that I had no idea I was in, I was in addiction at all, none at all. Um, I had at the same time as all this was going on uh, problems with um, Feminax because my I was now in my mid forties and I'm perimenopausal, so I'm using Feminax, Sulfadine Max because I'm having terrible period pains, uh, very heavy periods, um, and I love feeling I get when I take these tablets, and so then begins the journey of not crushing tablets and injecting them in my eyes, but taking painkillers in a way that, as I look back now, I was using those to change the way I felt. Yes, of course, physically, because I was in pain, but also there was another side to that. But if I don't acknowledge that, I'm not my authentic self. I'm not staying true to who I am. I came back into recovery, back into AA meetings at uh, about um, 15 years into recovery. Not drink, not having had a drink or a drug uh, in terms of um, my adultering. I mean, I was a huge skunk smoker um, to bring me down, to calm me down. So, you know, people, people use alcohol to pick them up. I needed to calm down, you know, and I now understand probably I've got ADHD, but that's a whole other story that, you know, we need another two days for that. Um, so I've come back into recovery and uh, I meet uh, a fellow traveller. I share my, my story, my addiction story and what's been happening to me over the few years with my sex addiction and a woman comes into my life, Kim, who shares back from the floor and says, it's okay, I hear you and I see you. And, uh, you know, we've travelled uh, as friends um, for a long time, and uh, she launched a SLA meeting, and I and I did some work in SLA. And what was so fascinating about um, for me 
what I spoke about in Slaw was my son. I spoke about this relationship with this little boy who was now a teenager who was rebelling against me and fighting me and rejecting me. And the rejection and the abandonment that I felt from my child was heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. And I wanted to understand why I had no balance around that, why I could hear other women talk about their children and not feel broken inside by what he would say. And um, I think what I started to understand in SLA and I started to be able to see was the fact that I have problems in relationships. All fucking relationships. Friendships, employers, siblings, parents, lovers, husbands, partners. And as I started to articulate that in the SLA space, I started to understand that, you know, AA had saved my life. I will always be eternally grateful for uh, my AA program. I really started to struggle in AA meetings. And that was because I, I needed to know more. I needed to understand. I didn't want to hear what was on page 69. I wanted to understand what was going on and why I was triggered by all these things, why these relationships triggered me. And uh, Kim went into ACA before I did. She wouldn't mind me sharing. She was gonna come this evening, but she couldn't. So she wouldn't mind me saying her name. And she came into ACA first and uh, led the path, you know, shone light. And, um, it took me forever to get into ACA. I rebelled so hard. Um, she said to me, just buy the red book and read the red book. Um, I bought the red book and then I sent it to Annie. Because <laughs> I said, oh, Annie, I think this is going to be really helpful for you. You read the red book. I hadn't read the red book at this time. So <laughs> just passing the book at this. Because it was like, I think I read the first half a dozen pages and thought, shh. This is heavy. I need to. I need to get this off my desk for a while. Um, <clears throat> Annie didn't read it. She sent it back. <laughs> and then I did read it. I did read the book um, as it was suggested. And um, yeah. You know, it's it, it. When I read the laundry list, and I recognised myself in the laundry list, I knew I was in the right place. I knew that, you That's know, something. Answer. Thank you. That something had to change. That something really had to change. Um, at the point of starting that journey things had started to happen you know 
ACA is not for the faint-hearted. They say AA is not for the faint-hearted, but ACA is not for the faint-hearted because stuff happens when... Stuff has happened for me. I can only tell you my experience. Um, you know, within the first short period of time, I walked out on an employer because I understood that the relationship was abusive and that I had to put some boundaries in on that relationship and this employer was unable to accept those boundaries and I walked out uh, without a job trusting my high power and knowing that I had to if I'm doing this I have to do it you know it says in AA practices in all your affairs and I think that's the same for me in ACA I have to practice this in all my affairs um I had a huge breakdown with my family of origin. I've always had real issues with my mum and my siblings. Uh, I have no relationship now with my family of origin and haven't had for about two and a half years. So there's been no communication. And during that time, my mother died uh, and I got a call from my brother-in-law to tell me that she died. Um, people had said to me before then, they'd warned me, be careful because you may find that, you know, when your mum dies, it's all gonna come to the surface. I now understand through my journey that I grieved my mother many years ago. I grieved that relationship long before she died. And so when my mother finally passed, as much as it was sad, it wasn't heartbreaking. That had been done, that had been done a long time ago. And I was relieved when I read that these are our biological, these are the people who biologically carry us, you know, the, the relationships that I'm learning to establish are the ones that actually are going to matter. Back to my boy for the last couple of minutes. So he moved out of my home and I sold my house and, uh, then began the journey of heartbreak. So I thought when he started to grow up at three and started to become independent, that was hard enough. But having him move out, and uh, he'd live with me until he was 29, which is way too old. <laughs> but having him move out and left me was a huge, big thing for me. And it's... It's been a really tough year. I'm learning to live on my own. I'm learning to find out who I am. I actually like who I am. I think I've survived well, considering. And I think that, um, I think that without getting sober, none of this would have happened. There would have been no chance that I would ever be in a place where I could live on my own. Um, but I'm very grateful today. I'm grateful for the people around me, for the women around me, particularly, you know, Annie, Mandy is on here today. She's coming from Cyprus. Um, for those fellow travelers who stick to me, thick and thin, good and bad. Um, and I'm grateful for the relationship with my higher power. My higher power is the air that I breathe. It's the blood in my veins. It's the recovery program. 
is the essence, it's the source of everything. When I'm in tune, it's okay, it's going to be all right. So as long as I tune in, do what I'm told to the best of my ability, I'm a bit of a rebel, try and be kind to myself and others. I have a chance. Thank you.